0: Testing, testing. Hey guys, it's Will and Keith. I'm
1: Keith. And I'm Will. And I'm Will. <laughs> oh God. Oh, you are canceled. This podcast is canceled. The, the microphone just just set itself on fire. I hate this podcast already. <laughs> Will and Keith embrace the
0: process. All right. Ahoy. Ahoy. We've poured the coffee. Cheers.
1: Ah, cheers. Cheers. Nice to see you. We're starting the uh, second episode of the podcast for the first time ever. That's correct. There was no false start that you made me delete. That never happened. Keith asked me how I was doing and I went to such a dark place instantly <laughs> that, I had to, that I had to reset. You know there are infinite
0: possible answers to that question. The easiest one is just fine. Next time you can just say fine in a really high voice. All right, let's, let's, let's... So, Will, how you doing? Fine. That was good. That was high and sort of British, actually, which is on theme, because later in this episode we're going to get into some uh, British stuff. Yeah, I hope we do. And even when we talk about Lovecraft, that'll be relevant, because he was a huge Anglophile. I was just reading that. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah, apparently. Big ol' Anglophile.
1: Hmm. That's a, a Revolutionary War sympathizer. Uh, yeah, actually. True story, he would sometimes date his letters
0: to 200 years prior to their actual date, exactly 200 years, uh, so that he would appear to be writing before the Revolutionary War, because he he was not a big fan of uh,
1: of independence. Is it possible that he was a a time traveler? Hmm. I don't know, but that's a great premise. Is it possible that I'm a
0: time traveler? It seems unlikely. It seems like if you were a time traveler, you would be more interesting or more successful or both. But what if I went the wrong way? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, so you traveled into the future... Yes. ...and then realized that you had no skills whatsoever. Exactly. Isn't that just the experience of most
1: people? (laughs) I feel like I'm traveling into the future right now.
0: Yeah. Well, I turned, as you know, I turned 39 uh, two days ago. I did know you turned... And number. Sorry, yeah. It turns out that number is 39. Um, and so if I didn't know before that my time was past, now I definitely know. It. Now it's official. I'm almost 40. My my good years are behind me. I don't think that's necessarily true. It's not necessarily true. But it, it is true that my moment of greatest cultural
1: relevancy is likely behind I could see you as a, as a golden as a like a golden girl, <laughs> like a Betty White sort of situation. Oh, thank you. I'm glad you went Betty White and not B. Arthur.
0: I don't really know much about that show, but I feel like Betty White is the one you want to be. I don't know anything about that show except its name and that Betty White was on it, and and that Betty White played an old lady on The Golden Girls, which at this point was like 50 years ago. <laughs> that, that is what
1: really blows my mind. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah, and she's still an old lady.
1: There are actors like that too that just seem to be they hit a certain ancient age and then right. became immortal. <laughs> and that's what I think will happen to you. Oh thank you. Yeah, you know, when you when you feast of the the vampiric blood sacrifice that and you become immortal. Wow, you are
0: really on this Lovecraft theme. That was good. Uh yeah, I'd like to I'd like to feel like I won't age significantly until, you know, death. But you never know. <laughs> so, uh, we, in theory, we start out each episode checking in on how the last week or so has gone. I think it's been a little more than a week since we recorded. But uh, do you have any reflections on the last ten days to two weeks of your life that you would like to share?
1: Uh, well, I am feeling better. Good. Than I was when we met the last time. I was somehow just in this cloud. I think we both were talking about it. Yeah. And and um, I couldn't really pin it down exactly because nothing, nothing really was different. Maybe I don't. My stress levels were really high. Yeah. Leading into that, and I think I think my stress had gotten so high that it sort of. Reached the top point to where, uh, my defense mechanism is just to sort of go numb. <laughs> and, uh, so, um, but I feel, uh, energized. I've had a good week. Nice. I've been doing some creative things, playing music, um, doing, uh, doing some work. Are you writing music or are you just playing songs that you already know? Um, I'm working on some new pieces. Sweet. Yeah, I maybe, uh. Maybe um, next time I'll share one, or we can talk about one. That'd be great. Um, if you wanted to
0: play something for the podcast, I think that would be phenomenal. Maybe I will do that. I love your song. As you know, I'm a big fan of your songs. Uh, it's easy to take them for granted because we're sort of in a in a casual band together. So I get to hear your songs all the time. I get to play your songs, but uh, every time I stop and listen to one, I'm really, really impressed. I think wow, they're really
1: good. Thank you. That means a lot to me.
0: Well, I mean it very sincerely. I'm, I am a genuine fan of your music, and if
1: I didn't know you, but I somehow knew your music, I would still be a fan. And that's you know that's the that's the problem. I need to get into the the the, the product mode of thinking ah, instead of just the process, right? You know, I need to to quote our episode last time here, world. What do you think? Right, just get to that point. But um, and how about yourself? We were talking last time. Uh, you that you were going to try to get back into your morning writing routine? Has that happened at all? A, a little bit.
0: A little bit, yeah. I, I've only done the morning writing, I think, three days total since the last time we spoke. So that's not great. But just doing it that much did wonders for my mood, did wonders for my level of focus. The first two sessions... I was pretty miserable. I didn't know what I should be writing. I was just taking random notes on random stuff. It didn't feel good. It didn't feel meaningful. And then the third session, I picked up a little piece of a screenplay that I'd been working on a couple of years ago. Um, and I just wrote a few new pages for that. And for whatever reason, that just made me feel great. It just made me feel like, like I could take control of my life again. Um, so since then I haven't done any writing. Mm -hmm. It's probably most of a week ago now. I haven't done any writing, but I have been picking away at various projects, things that I need to do, things that I want to do. Um, I have not been sticking to a schedule. I have not been kind of disciplined in the obvious way, but I have been getting things done and I've had an appetite for getting things done. And for me, that's the difference. You either want to avoid tasks or you want to accomplish tasks. Mm. Um, and in the latter situation, it, it, it almost doesn't matter how productive you're being because the fact that you want to do things means you will keep doing them. Even if a day goes by and you accomplish virtually nothing, you will pick it up tomorrow Mm -hmm. because you want to do things. Um, so I'm feeling a lot better as well. Uh, it's all still very much a process, but I do feel better.
1: Do you think this... (laughs) Do you think this podcast has magical healing powers? It's possible.
0: (laughs) I don't want to dismiss that notion because uh, we are both doing better. and I mean, the the ability to check in with oneself is really important. It's why people write journals or go to see a therapist. Mm -hmm. A lot of that, you know, therapists don't usually offer you world-shattering insights. Occasionally they do. But mostly they just listen to you, right? It's just an opportunity to express yourself. Mm -hmm. So on that level... That makes sense. That the podcast would be uh, something mentally healthy, and then also it's a cool project to be involved in. It's fun. It feels kind of productive or creative in its own right.
1: So you had recommended that I uh, read some of uh, the H.P. Lovecraft work. That's right, um, and that really that really uh, took me on a a whole journey. <laughs> it was I was uh, I was. Uh, Really down the rabbit hole with that one Um,
0: Yeah, so I obviously have known Lovecraft by reputation for a long time He's this enormously influential horror writer Influenced fantasy writers as well So I sort of knew who he was And I knew what Lovecraftian meant in general terms But uh, this past October My brother and our cousin Kyle And I all formed a little book club to read scary stories during the month of October to get excited for Halloween. Oh, cool. Sadly, there wasn't really much of a Halloween,
1: but yeah. October itself was fun. That's a, that's, it was a very scary Halloween. <laughs> I was terrified of the, of to the leave corona. my house. Yeah. <laughs> Every, yeah, the, the whole year has been Halloween, basically. It felt like, so, it felt like sort of the red death situation where I'm inside the castle and I'm like sure that it's going to get in, right? Know. You gotta mark the doors of those who are infected with the
0: blood of the bat. <laughs> that's correct. Yeah, that's that's how that's done. So, I hope uh, the CDC is listening. These are important public health recommendations. So, what does
1: Lovecraftian mean, or is it is it too sort of broad a? to really answer that question i'm
0: probably not the best person to answer that question but i'll take a stab at it uh, so lovecraft is credited with inventing the genre of cosmic horror inventing or maybe popularizing uh, so the in lovecraft stories the frightening things are not just ghosts or zombies or werewolves the frightening things are Sort of the entire cosmos. They're mm-hmm. these vast, unknowable entities that are more ancient than humankind. That uh, that are far beyond our comprehension. That maybe exist in realms or spaces that we don't even have access to. And they're fa- faceless and they're monstrous. And uh, and it's the it's the indifference of the universe to humanity that is ultimately most horrifying. Um, it's not just monsters. It's uh, an entire cosmos in which man is not central, is not important, and can be uh,
1: casually killed or tortured or disregarded. I was made familiar with uh, those themes in the uh, Marvel comic universe. I feel like ah. that's a huge, a huge thing. Um, well, I'm sure they must have been influenced by, yeah, by his stuff. Too. Silver Surfer type. Mm-hmm. The uh, the Watcher is that who the character was the Watcher yeah the
0: Watcher lives on the moon he's a relatively benevolent entity yeah um, but he lives on the moon and he can only observe humanity and he's sworn mm-hmm. not to interfere um,
1: and then there's Galactus and uh, Doctor Strange that was that was a big theme in that right yeah he gets into conflicts with all sorts of terrifying
0: demonic entities who rule their own eldritch dimensions mm. um, so yeah I mean the influence of this stuff is. Is fast. Basically, any horror writer you can name is influenced by Lovecraft. Um, but I had never actually read any of it until October. We, we bought four volumes of short stories by four different authors. So we were reading oh, cool. Ray Bradbury. We were reading Mitch, Richard Matheson. Did a little bit of Joyce Carol Oates. And then plunged into Lovecraft. And around when we started doing the Lovecraft, my cousin Kyle had to go in for heart surgery. And so the book club was a little bit... Uh, disrupted, but I got this beautiful volume, which I have right here in front of me, beautiful kind of new, what is the, what's the publisher of this?
1: I do, I do really appreciate the uh, the, the book design on that, it has the sort of, the, the old school looking spine. Yeah, um, and it's got this sort of mosaic style cover. Yeah, and the gold, gold edged uh, pages are... are uh, Absolutely.
0: Gilt edge pages, and it's got that built in ribbon that you can use to mark your place. It's very biblical. <laughs> well, it's very, very in keeping with the tone of his stories. He has all these antiquarian interests. Um, it's all very, uh, very backward looking, very antique. Uh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call out the publisher here because I think they did excellent work here. It's Canterbury Classics. This is a Canterbury Classics edition of H.P. Lovecraft. Anyway, so around the time the book club sort of fizzled out, I started reading this on my own initiative, and uh, I've been thoroughly enjoying it. That is my history. I'm still
1: still only about a
0: quarter of the way through.
1: So are you reading straight from from front cover through, not jumping around? I am generally that
0: kind of reader, Hmm. where I want to do it from front to back sometimes to my own detriment uh so tell me so you read uh the call of cthulhu which is one of the most classic lovecraft stories and which i think introduces that figure
1: of cthulhu so uh tell me a little bit about what your experience was um well i did i I did a quick um internet search and 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 had maybe it's just in the first lines of like the Wikipedia page that the sort of Cthulhu mythos, right. Which I didn't know what that was, was, um, one of the, um, sort of top build, uh, achievements of note or, or writing work works of note. Um, yeah. So, uh, I thought that if I were going to read, if I were going to read just one, that I should choose that one. um, because of its sort of notoriety. Um, and I did read it and and it I it was cool I li- it felt what I what I liked about it was and maybe this is sort of off point, but um it was the first time I had maybe in a long while had read something written so long ago. Mm. I'm not a, I'm not a avid reader uh, uh, and so, to read something, the wording just felt so dated and sort of, but it almost made it seem real in that sense. Hmm. Um, like sometimes, how watching an old movie where the effects are so bad, it almost seems more real to yeah. me. Um, like like a vintage horror, I find can find really disturbing because it's like there's no CGI. Right. And even if the effects are bad, like I don't really know what it's like to, you know, slash someone open and very well could be like <laughs> that. And there's something really disturbing about, um, about something being dated and being sort of out of context of what I'm, what I think of as being like a horror story. Right. Um, and so reading it, it felt very, um, it, it has almost a,
0: Documentary character.
1: Yeah, that's, that's, yeah.
0: Yeah, and that's a really consistent device that he uses. Not in every story, but in a lot of stories. That you'll be stumbling upon a journal or a series of letters that give you a window into past events. But a lot of the mysteries and the horrors are seen through the filter of the past or through the filter of a document or through someone else's experience. Which I think is part of how he makes those things so creepy. Creepy. Um, you know, he certainly not the first writer to understand that what you don't see is more frightening than what you do see. But he seems to have taken that principle and kind of raised it to an art form. Or mm. he is hiding everything from you, sometimes hiding it behind multiple different kinds of veils. And uh, and the more hidden it is, the more terrifying it seems. Uh, but I, so I I love that um, I love that device of kind of looking. Add a story through multiple lenses of narratives. Joseph Joseph Conrad used to do that all the time. Something like Heart of Darkness. Mm. It'll be like a guy on a boat telling a story to another guy about a time he was on a boat, hearing a story from a third guy. I don't know if Heart of Darkness does that, but a lot of his stories do. It'll be these nested, uh, these nested narratives. And uh, I don't know. I, I love that stuff. It, it feels like it's an outgrowth of the oral storytelling tradition, where you would just go. To a tavern and somebody would smoke a pipe and tell you a story for three hours. I would be smoking the pipe. That's, yeah, even better.
1: Yeah. you could Maybe you could both smoke pipes. <laughs> Who knows what's in that pipe? <laughs> it's nobody's business but yours. I think this could be actually a good format for the podcast is that you tell stories and I smoke pipes. <laughs> <laughs> that could be good. I could vape if, if, if you know. Whatever you're comfortable with. The, the carcinogens offend you. Um, I would love to tell stories. You Next time you're going to do a song and I'll tell a story. Oh, that's great! I think we should do that. That could be fun. Um, I do wish that I had. I I was trying to find the time to read another story, another uh, Lovecraft story, so that I could at least do a side by side comparison with more than one. But I got so um, sidetracked by all all the all these other things that I never got around to it. Um, um, because we had mentioned the, the HBO series Lovecraft Country. <laughs> Take two. Because we mentioned the home box office television series Lovecraft Country. Very good. Um, which uh, we brought it up at the end of the episode and I, I, had, I had already watched most of the se- first season. Um, and so when we brought it up I had mentioned that oh yeah you should watch it to see if it holds true to yeah. the stories. I had no idea that it was its own book. Right. Until while doing my homework, I stumbled across that. Um, and so uh, I, I went down the full rabbit hole about what was that book and and, and, and why. And um, I didn't know anything about Lovecraft. I didn't know anything about Lovecraft Country, the book, but the show immediately, it was clear to me, that, that, that what I was watching was something I had never thought of before, that these sci-fi fantasy genres are predominantly white. Yeah. And it never dawned on me. And I wasn't really thinking of it. And I was like, oh, this is a really cool, this is cool. Like it's, it's, you know, at at points, the show kind of trots off and I'm like, okay, this is a little bit ridiculous, but, but, um, um, just sort of, sort of genre hopping, and some of it is so sort of comical, and you see these sort of racists like getting their comeuppance, hmm. and I'm like, this is this is fun, and this is brutal, um, uh, and really playful. And then after after doing some research for the homework, and reading, um, finding out that Lovecraft Country was a novel um, dealing with the sort of Lovecraftian themes, I really I really spiraled out and hmm. was, and was reading. Um, so I have now started to read Lovecraft Country. I uh, finished the first chapter um, this morning and rewatched the first episode of the TV show last night.
0: Nice, um,
1: really yeah. interesting. How's the how's the book so far? Uh, it's good. Yeah, the, it's um, it seems interesting. It, it was an, it was an easy read. I was it kept me going through. Actually, last night I was watching the show and reading the first chapter simultaneously. Hmm. And then when either of them got to a, a point of like very high interest, I would pause and read or put down the book and watch. Um, wow, I've never even heard of anyone doing that. I'm a weird... <laughs> I'm a weird person. You are a weird person. Well, I had already seen the episode. Right. So I sort of knew what to expect. Um, when I watched the the, the, the episodes... I was enjoying them, but I wasn't really seeing them in a, in a, in a broader context at all. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I sort of, my intuition just like, I, I understood what I was watching, but I didn't know, I didn't see it, um, fully in context as, 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 um, as much as I sort of do now in retrospect. Well, there's an interesting moment. I watched, like I told you, just
0: the pilot episode Mm -hmm. of Lovecraft Country, and I've not read the book. Um... But there's an interesting moment in that pilot episode where the main character, uh, who's a young black man just back from the war in 1950s America, uh, talks about Lovecraft. He's a fantasy fan. He's a fan of Lovecraft. And uh, I think it's a, a black woman that he meets on a bus who says, well, how could you read that? You know, he's a notorious racist. And the guy has a line. that's something like, uh, well, books are like people. They're not perfect. You have to take them as you find them. Um, And I thought that was a really, for me, that was a really powerful moment of saying, well, you don't, you don't have to discard this person's entire legacy just because some of their attitudes were offensive or problematic. You know, that you can, you can be both a black person and a fan of
1: Lovecraft and you don't have to feel like those two things are in conflict. Yeah, that's what's so interesting about the book. And that, that, that's, that's that quote is taken almost directly from the book. That seems to be the opinion ...of the author. Mm. Um, or else... I, I mean... I mean, do you think... Does it seem that way to you? That would have been my I mean, guess, that, that the author was kind of speaking for himself. Another thing that I thought was... Sort of blew my mind about doing the, the, uh, the Lovecraft thing was just the fact that... I had recommended the Deltron. Mm. This, is this... Is this crazy? I I was so blown away by just the juxtaposition of that I was recommending a sci-fi rap album Mm -hmm. at the same time you were recommending Lovecraft to me. Oh, so both of them have
0: to do with the intersection of black culture with nerd culture.
1: Yeah. Is that a crazy coincidence? I think you're right. I, think I really. was pretty interesting. I was, I was, I was spiraling like you know, <laughs> for, for like the, the, the weekend. I was in a good way. I was really, I was really, uh, but I just thought that was a crazy coincidence. Yeah, that is. That hadn't quite occurred to me. But you're right. That is interesting. Um, and I think you know maybe that. I think that's what. Um, that's why that album is a standout for me. I've listened to a good amount of hip-hop. I'm not a connoisseur, but I like a lot. I, I, I have a very eclectic music taste, in, of which there's been a lot of hip-hop through. And the mm-hmm. Deltron 3030 30 album always really stood out to me because I love sci-fi
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, and fantasy stuff. And, and when, I, when I heard this album, it just really... I was like, this is so great. Just the idea of it. Even if I didn't love the album, just the idea that it existed, yeah, I really thought was great. And I do love the album. I mean, I've, I've been listening to it, God, for like twenty years now. <laughs> <laughs> I probably didn't get it right when it. I probably got it. So if it came out in two thousand, I probably was listening to it. Um, just a few year, like two thousand and two, and now it's twenty twenty, and. Um, and, um, so only eighteen years. Yeah, I mean, basically, I'm, I'm just, I'm just skimming the, <laughs> the surface. Well, get back to me when you've had a chance to really digest it. Um, for what it, what it is, as like this, this sort of super group concept album, the idea of doing a hip hop themed, a sci fi themed, hip hop album, is awesome. Yeah, and I love
0: it. I love. It. Um, yeah, no, I, I. I don't know actually what to say about that album. It's hard for me to get into a new record, especially when it's something so dense. It's long. For one thing, it's an hour. Um, And there's just a huge amount of lyrical content. And I I feel like in order to have anything comprehensive to say about the album, I'd probably have to listen to it a dozen more times and read the lyrics and maybe read the context for it. I, I guess my off the cuff feeling is it, it feels like what concept albums tend to be, which is something ambitious and exciting that doesn't entirely pull off what it's doing. If that makes any sense. I, I, I found it hard to really get a, a narrative out of it, or even a very sharp picture of the kind of dystopian future that it's presenting. Obviously there are, uh, there are things that are implied uh, about, uh, about what that, Hellish nightmare of thirty uh, thirty looks like, um, but it didn't really. It didn't really come into focus for me. It sounds cool. I like a lot of the uh, instrumental stuff. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you, you mentioned that a, several people involved with the album had worked on gorillas, oh. and I think one of the strengths of their music is the instrumentals are strong and melodic. Mm-hmm. They're not just a background to yeah uh, whatever's happening lyrically. That's
1: Dan the Automator. Dan the Automator. Thank
0: you. Um, yeah, so I think that's a, that's a real strength of it. Um, I, I, yeah, I guess I, I felt like, I felt like the storytelling of it could be more front and center. So
1: apparently all the lyrics on the album were written in under two weeks. Really? Well, that's pretty cool. Yeah, and so I, I think I, I, I was thinking about it too in terms of um, the product versus process. Mm. That's a product. Yeah, he. I would if you're writing that much in a in under two weeks, which is what you know what what the internet tells me. I don't, you know, they're not taking my phone calls anymore. <laughs> what I call. But to to, to and, and it's it's uh, the Dell style is is very unrelenting Mm. like when he's going he's filling every beat with with a word and and to write that much in two weeks i think is really impressive and also i feel like it probably also meant there wasn't a whole lot of rewriting right or or worrying too much about about the story structure yeah and some of it is just you know and, and and some of it is just sort of you know sci-fi buzzwords, sort of woven into. But I, I think even in that, I find that impressive. Just to be able to use that vocabulary, right, and to use it in a fluid rap. I like that. Yeah. So, so even if it's not, you know, um, like so, you know, for, for the for the theme song or 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 the the Deltron theme song or the Mastermind song, which is about him rapping about you know Dan the Automators. Ultimate cosmic production skills. Great song too. Um, it's very similar to other hip hop, where the the, the 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 basic concept is telling you how <laughs> badass or great they are, right? But to, so to do that with a sci fi vocabulary, it, it, I really enjoy that. Yeah, even if it's just um, sort of some of the same themes as, as any sort of rapper might do, you know, right. saying they're the best or their rhymes are the best or, you know, um, but to do that with, with hip hop, with a sci-fi vocab, I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. And I think that's probably a more useful way of looking at the album instead of
0: trying to tell a single cohesive story, mm-hmm. it's trying to be a rap album that's inspired by yeah. uh, sci-fi themes. Uh, I think that, that probably is a more accurate Description and I do I get a kick out of hearing geeky references in rap music because I I guess I like the confluence of what seems cool and what seems uncool like rap is quintessentially cool music and uh, references to sci-fi and comic books are generally regarded as as uncool Um, but uh, but a a lot of uh, rappers actually are fans of Marvel comics or or uh, or what have you and uh, I do always enjoy hearing those references. I mean, I'm a big Marvel fan from from way, way back. Yeah. Uh, As you know. Is there more that you wanted to say about either Lovecraft or Deltron
1: or indeed the confluence of both? No, I I think it's really interesting and um, I think one of the things that I like about the idea of the podcast and my idea of it is... Having my own motivation to research things and discover new things and talk about them and sort of really uh, try to digest something more than I would if I just was doing it. Yeah. um, So I'm looking forward to more. Great. More projects and more uh, things to go over. And it occurs to me
0: that if we ever reach a point where people are listening to this podcast. Then we could consider the homework assignments to be for the audience as well. Yeah, we could try to structure it in that way where this is something that you might have time to get into in a week, so that when you check back in with us uh, for the next episode, you're in
1: the loop and you're up to speed. I love that idea. So it's like a like a book club, right? In fact, if we didn't already have a podcast title, we could call it Book Club. Do you want to do another
0: podcast? <laughs> I would like to spend the rest of my life doing a wide variety of different <laughs> podcasts with you. That's what I want to do with my time. We only need seven podcasts. We need one for every day of the week. Great. They all have to be on different topics, and uh, they have different titles, and... Uh... Could one be Sunday Fun Day? Uh, no, that's stupid. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Okay, I take it back. One of them can be Sunday Fun Day as long as it's on Thursday. Deal. Okay. Done. Well, that's three right there. Good job. Uh, So now, are we on now into the homework? Oh, I know what you wanted to talk about. Can I introduce your topic? Yes. (laughs) This is a topic that we teased at the beginning of the episode. And speaking of Lovecraft's inveterate anglophilia... (laughs) I believe our friend William Clark is also something of an Anglophile. Anyway, I'm
1: sorry you were going to talk about the Great British Baking Show. I I love watching cooking shows. Mm -hmm. I love cooking. Actually, I don't love baking. Okay, but I do love cooking. I really, I do it a lot. um, uh, Especially now that we're not going out to eat at restaurants, right? I do enjoy cooking. Not much of a baker, but. There's something that I love about the Great British Bake Off. Um, it's like it's soothing. So, describe the format of the show a little bit. Is it structured like a competition? It is. Yes, it is a competition. They start with a baker's dozen. Okay, thirteen. Yes, I know what that means. I don't know if they did if they do every season. This season, um, I didn't count. I never count. Um, But this season is interesting because all the contestants are quarantined or in a bubble with the hosts and the judges. Oh, wow. And they're like living at this estate where they're – so all the people who are on the show right now are, are there. I think normally people were like going back to their houses and just showing up for two. Sure, because it's a job. Yeah. For, for <laughs> two. But so the people who are there this season have, have uh, left their homes and they're, they're quarantined so with. Now it's like the real world. <laughs> yeah. That's interesting.
0: So are there a lot of the, segments real world, about? the
1: television show? Right. Sorry. It took me a minute. I was, I, uh, MTV the real world. This uh, is my reality TV reference. As long as every show we're referencing MTV shows, that's, <laughs> yeah. that TV is a, content. that is a trend. We did both yeah. come of age in the 1990s um,
0: when MTV still meant
1: something when they, when they r- ruined music and indeed television. Mm.
0: Good times. Uh, so, so now, does that mean there are both cooking segments and there are segments about all these celebrities living together in a, in a manor house? No.
1: There's no celebrities. Oh, it's not celebrities? No. Oh. It's I thought this was a show about celebrities. It's not. But they're celebrities to me. Okay. Maybe I've seen the celebrity special. We could be talking about different things. I don't think so. Okay. I don't know of a I I don't know of a celebrity version. Okay. So the the, the contestants are just regular people. Oh, like you and me. Yes. Except British. Yes. And uh, and they're baking enthusiasts. Right. So, so not very no, much like you and me. Yeah. So they're you know we're weird, but we're not that weird. Oh, so these people they they bake.
0: Yes. they because they're freaks. When you watch it with the celebrities, like they have no idea what they're doing.
1: Yeah. No, no. These people—they're not—they're not professional bakers. They're, okay, they're they enthusiasts. Yes, um, um, and uh, uh, there's the, It's 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 very charming. So they show up, and so each episode is broken down into they have uh, what they call the signature challenge, mm-hmm. where the bakers bring their own recipe. Okay. Their signature recipe within the genre of whatever. So for cake week. Right. They say, okay, you have to make a fruit cake, but it could be anything you want. And so the bakers come with their own recipe. Mm. Uh, and then they're judged on that. And then they do a technical challenge, which is very entertaining. So they're given... Uh, a surprise sheet of instructions okay which are very sparse they're not detailed instructions and they have to make sometimes very elaborate technical bakes with no prior no prior knowledge right you know some people may have done it or may know what it is but sometimes people they're making things that they have no idea what it is so they're not given the title of the recipe they are but sometimes it's so obscure that that doesn't help wow at one episode they did like a medieval, like, meat cake. <laughs>
0: and um, That sounds great. Um, will you make me that for, for my birthday
1: next year? Yes. Okay. It will take me that long to perfect. Yeah, you have 363 days. Um, and then the third challenge is the is the showstopper challenge where they do something. It has to look spectacular. That's oh. when it has to be the showstopper. But it's all within each episode is within a certain... Um, um I oh, no thank you. Were you offering I, I me- just
0: poured myself the rest of the coffee and then I gestured to you with the empty container of coffee, <laughs> the empty what do you call it, French press. Uh as if to offer to pour
1: you. Yeah, and I and I politely said no thank you to your empty, disgusted, cold <laughs> coffee grounds. It's not my fault that it's cold. I mean you just won't shut up.
0: Um well, now I will. But I'm sorry. Please continue. Take
1: two. <laughs> um, so different challenges. Well, the real thing about the show is that it's so different from American cooking and baking shows mm. that that um, that is why. Not that it's British, but it's just something about it's so. You should watch it. It's ve- I find it very soothing. Yeah. There's no crazy production. There's no you know explosions or, um, or zany music or camera cuts. Um, they, they have two, two, two judges Mm -hmm. and two hosts and the host's job are just sort of to muck about. Actually, one of the hosts is, um, you may know him as old Greg, old Greg. Do you know old Greg? No. He drinks Bailey's from a shoe. Wait, this sounds vaguely familiar. Do you want some Baileys? That that uh, it was it was like the viral. Uh, it's from it's it's from um, a, a sketch comedy show, a British sketch comedy show that I can't remember. Noel. Oh wait, Noel Fielding. Yes, that's a person. Yes. Okay, and so he's one of the current hosts. Oh, really? And he's hilarious, um, but there isn't like a scripted sort of. It's very, just, it feels very off the cuff. You know, Mm. he'll just sort of wander around. And um, there's another new host this year. I can't remember. I should have looked this all up. Yeah, probably. But I didn't. Look it up yourself, (laughs) America. Yeah, you have to do something, you lazy listener. Um, But the show is, you know, I watch a lot of American cooking shows also. But this show is, the, the, the sheer Britishness of it. And just how it's, you know, stay the course, <laughs> keep calm and carry on. carry on baking is, uh, it's very soothing and, and I really enjoy watching it and I recommend it to you. That does sound nice. Um, it's, 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 much more soothing than actual baking, which is horrific.
0: Yeah. Well, as I told you, I made a pie crust today and, uh, I spent the whole time cursing the person who wrote the recipe. <laughs> really? <laughs> I hate <laughs> recipes. So much. Especially online recipes. It'll be like five pages of personal anecdote before they finally get to the recipe itself.
1: Oh, nowadays, the, 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 the blog formatting... I
0: don't is, understand. It's, you Google recipe for cookies and you click on a <laughs> link that says recipe for cookies and then you read a paragraph that's like, when I was a child... Growing up in rural Missouri, my grandfather would drive 75 miles, and you're like, where are the cookies? I came here for the cookies. It's so hard to find. It's so the opposite of what the internet is for. The internet is for, you want this thing, you get it right now. It's easy, here it is right now. But the whole culture of recipes on the internet is, now hold on young feller, what's your hurry?
1: Wouldn't you like to hear a tale first? Yeah, written by like a twenty-something like uh, mommy blogger, right? And and I'm not sure. I, I suspect it's just for the ad revenue.
0: Why would there be...
1: Oh, so they want you to keep scrolling down. Yes, because there's scroll past. There's yes. ads and time you spend on the page. And you, know, right. you scroll past this and the little video starts. And yeah. you know, Are you depressed and lonely? I'm like, yes, goddammit, but, but m- I'm trying more to... More and more and more. <laughs> the more I scroll, the more depressed I am. Um, some of these pages have a little link at the top that will let you skip to the recipe oh. if they have that there's any shred of human decency in the person who made the post very rare you know what i realized
0: i should have done it's too late now i should have gone to the shelf in the kitchen where the joy of cooking sits and has sat for as long as i can remember mm-hmm. And I should have found a goddamn recipe in the goddamn physical book. It's so much better. Which doesn't run out of batteries, which doesn't play a video, which doesn't tell you a long, rambling story, which just gives you the information that you need. Books, you guys. Books
1: are the future. (laughs) That is my message. You heard it here for... It's almost 2021. That's right. And Keith says books are the future. The internet is done, you guys. It jumped the shark. It's over. Oh my god, the internet is so done.
0: It's been done for a while, but it's time for us to acknowledge it. (laughs) Uh, I
1: think the takeaway is that there's something about British television that is very soothing. Mm. And especially, I, I guess... British reality TV mm-hmm. or there's something, I don't know if you call what a game, a game show. Um, yeah. Um, verse American versions of the same idea that can be very offensive and just sort of jarring and in your face. Right. Like,
0: I do think British television from what little I know about it is superior to American television. Uh, I was going to take this opportunity to tell you about my favorite, guilty pleasure in the arena of british television now i I should say i only watch this on youtube because that's where i live my life yes notice i'm contemptuous of twitter but apparently i think it's okay to live your whole life on youtube so judge me as you will anyway so i'm on youtube right and uh i was in actually i'll tell you the whole story i'll tell you from the beginning of the story i was in london i was visiting my friend john tomlinson this is many years ago. How many years ago? A number of years ago. And my friend John Tomlinson said that there were these funny men, uh, David Mitchell and Robert Webb, who had a funny
1: sketch comedy oh, show. Oh, I know I know them. Mitchell and Webb? Yeah. Oh, you know Mitchell and Webb? Yeah, we're like best friends. Great. They don't take my calls. No, and yeah. You know yeah, you guys have that big falling out. Yeah. Anyway, so he,
0: he made me watch a couple of Mitchell and Webb sketches, and uh, and they were hilarious. They were great. I don't even remember which ones. But they were great. It was probably the, the one about Nazis. Uh, <laughs> so then I got heavily into Mitchell and Webb, and then eventually I ran out of Mitchell and Webb clips on YouTube, and so YouTube started showing me something else. They started showing me Would I Lie to You. Would I Lie to You is a British panel show, and the panel show is a format that seems to be very, very big in the UK, and that isn't so big here, especially not now, uh, but it's effectively like a comedy show that, that takes place in a panel forum. So you'll get six different comedians in a room, and there'll be a there'll be a format, some kind of game to play. But it's really just an excuse to be funny. Mm-hmm. So in the case of What I Lie to You, the game is uh, you're given a card. It contains a statement about you that's either true or false. You don't know in advance what's going to be on the card. It might be true, it might be false. But either way, you have to pretend it's true. And then people will ask you questions, and you have to defend whatever assertion you've made, whether it's true or not. Then ultimately, the other team has to guess. And these
1: are comedians, or celebrities,
0: or any. Yes, it's hosted by uh, Rob Brydon, who's a comedian who did the Trip movies with Steve Coogan. So you might know oh right. from yep. the Trip yes the guy in the Trip who's not Steve Coogan yes that's Rob Brydon yeah uh, Welsh comedian he's the, he's the
1: host he gets the he gets a rough deal in those Trip. Thing. I feel like Steve Coogan just like eviscerates him. A little bit. But I, I love the way they
0: play off each other because they're so different. Yeah. They're so uh, like Rob Brydon is just the shameless entertainer. Like, he's old time showbiz and he just wants to be fun and funny mm-hmm. and lovable. And uh, Steve Coogan is kind of a pretentious uh, you know wannabe artist guy who takes his comedy really seriously. Uh, and the contrast between you know Coogan seems to have contempt for Bryden, or at least for his style of comedy. Despite that Bryden's an extremely talented person. Anyway, I love the combination. I of mean, that must be the shtick of the show. Yes, obviously they're playing it up. That it's, right. that it's yeah. It's Unfortunately, <laughs> Steve Coogan is not on Wood do, like. But Rob Bryden hosts it, and then the, the team captains are always the same two people. Oh, so there's teams. They're teams. Okay. I didn't clarify that. There are two teams of three people each. Okay. okay. So Rob Bryden's in the middle. Picture him in the middle. He's the host of the show. Okay. And then there are two teams of three people each. The team captains are always the same two people. David Mitchell, whom you know, of Mitchell and Webb. Oh, okay. And then a fellow called Lee Mack. Not Webb. Not Webb, no. Okay. Robert Webb has been on the show, but he's not a regular. Okay. Uh, who's the other captain? Picture. His name? Lee Mack. Lee, Lee Mack. Is his name. Uh, and He's very funny. Comedian. So the three mainstays are all comedians. And then the remaining spots will be filled with a variety of celebrities. Oftentimes it is comedians, but sometimes it'll be an actor or a sports star. Occasionally it's someone that Americans actually know. Like maybe it's a Spice Girl. Paul Hollywood. Or, uh, yeah, Paul Hollywood. Who the hell is that?
1: He's the the main judge of Great British Bacon Show. Oh,
0: okay. I didn't know that. That name sounds like a fake person. That sounds like yeah. a name.
1: I sometimes wonder if that's how he got famous, is <laughs> just by having the last name Hollywood. They were like, you're in. Come <laughs> in here, Mr. Hollywood. <laughs> the, Ameri- <laughs> the, the Yanks, I
0: love ya. And the okay. irony is it's not even his real name. Mm-hmm. He just just changed it from Hollowstein for show business.
1: So the, so there's four...
0: Right, four guests okay. every okay. week uh, to fill out the teams. And, uh, and then a lot of those will be... Regular. So now my experience of of British television is essentially I've seen, because there really aren't that many people in the world of British television. There are a few dozen. So I now am familiar with all the celebrities of British television, but only from this one show, which is not the thing that they're known for. Yeah. So I know who they are, but I don't know what they're known for. And this is true of dozens of people. Uh, some of whom I'm now an enormous fan of, like Bob Mortimer is brilliant. But I don't really know who Bob Mortimer is, except that sometimes he's on What I Lie to You,
1: and he's brilliant. And have you looked up some of these people and, like, expanded your knowledge of them? A little bit. A little bit. Not as much as perhaps I should. But, but, sometimes but you have curious. this a starting block. Now you have you have the usual suspects. Right. You could obviously launch from there.
0: Yeah. Well, it's like why I know who Noel Fielding is, for example. He was a guest at some oh, point. Oh, really? Oh, uh, okay. yeah. Uh, and I've seen a few clips of the British Bake Off because David Mitchell uh, was a special celebrity guest on the British Bake Off. Oh. So was James Acaster, who's another guy that I discovered on Would I Lie to You? Uh, who's actually a pretty big stand-up comedian, mm. and I think he has a special on Netflix. But I know him mostly,
1: well, originally from mm. "Would I Lie to You." Actually, his stand-up is well worth checking out. I'm very interested in the in the "Would I Lie to You" premise. I mean, it seems like uh, as someone who enjoys British comedy, I mean, we were both we both watch a ton of Monty, Monty Python. growing oh, yeah. up, and that you sort of can't if you're watching Monty Python in your sort of formative years, you can never not. Love British humor. That's correct. It's it's. I I feel like if you didn't, if you weren't exposed to it young, you might not enjoy it when you get older. It helps to be primed. Yeah, it helps to have the context. Um,
0: I love, I love what I lie to you, and it's partly just. It's so. I think it's related to what you're saying about the Bake Off. it's it's pure entertainment. It's so innocent. It's so joyful. Uh, it's not that like there isn't you know some pretty sardonic humor or some, humor or some pretty irreverent humor. You know, it's not it's not like watching Jay Leno or some crap yeah. like that. But uh, but the spirit of it is so wholesome. Yeah, just playing a game that doesn't matter where the, the points are barely <laughs> kept track of, and the in the production is pretty straightforward. Yeah, very, I mean, it's, it's slick, it looks good, they have a cool set, but yeah, it's yeah. just like a couple of uh, desks in front of an audience. Yeah. Very, very simple, very formulaic. And just bit camera, basically camera cuts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they got a few different cameras running. Yeah, and it, it is edited together, they do a pretty good job of making it feel like it's all continuous. If you yeah. watch a lot of it, you start to realize they actually are cutting to best, yeah. the best bits. Um, but the illusion is that you're just watching people yeah. kind of talk. And they, they have that almost uniquely British ability to savagely mock each other in a way that does not seem main spirited It's just <laughs> what you do. But they really go for it. They really go for the jugular. They go for people's weaknesses. And it's just understood. In British culture, it's understood that that's how you treat your friends mm.
1: or acquaintances. I mean, that's how I was raised. Good. That's why I have so few friends. I was <laughs> raised in a, in a household and an extended family that that the, the, you were supposed to just, like, cut each other down yeah. all the time.
0: Yeah. But as long as everyone gets it, that that's the game, then it's a beautiful thing. Uh, so that's, that's something I love about the show. And I think it would be really hard to reproduce on American television. Because I think especially American celebrities are careful about what they say. They don't want to offend anybody. They don't want to hurt anyone's feelings. They don't want to make waves. Whereas British celebrities, partly they're less famous than American (laughs) celebrities. The stakes are maybe a little lower. Uh, But they're also just raised in this culture where you can say it, you can mm. you can make the joke and then they'll come back at you with something else mm. and then it'll be fun
1: yeah it is I like I like laughing and I like things that are funny yeah but for some reason seeking out something to make me laugh is something that I almost never do
0: yeah I guess the truth is when I watch comedy I'm not necessarily expecting to laugh I I rarely laugh especially if I'm watching alone mm. Um but I like—I don't know—I like the art form. You're in it for the craft. I mean, that—that that sounds really pretentious. i do don't—I don't really mean that in a highfalutin way. I just—I like—I do like jokes. I like jokes a lot. Are you lowfalutin? Yeah, I consider myself medium <laughs> I'm not the most falutin. No. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess I—I I like to laugh, sure, but I also feel like I could watch something very, very funny and not laugh out loud and still enjoy the heck out of it. The laughter's not, the possibility of laughter is crucial, but the actual laughter is not crucial.
1: I guess it's not like the physical act of laughter is, is, I, 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 I'm almost never looking for something funny. Mm. I don't know why that is. Comedy's hard. Comedy's really, really hard. I like a story. Uh Uh-huh. Um, and, but that, that said, like, I love the British baking show and it's funny and I'm laughing a lot while I watch it, Mm. but I don't watch it because it's funny. I enjoy it because it's funny, but I watch it because of what it is. I'm interested in baking. It's not something that I like to do, but. I like watching cooking shows. I like watching people cook and do different things and like, oh, that's interesting. And the fact that they have these sort of comedic presents, I really enjoy. Right. But I almost never am seeking out the comedy genre. Hmm. Like so, like when I say almost never, I almost mean never. Right. Um, as close to never as I could get. But the fact that I do see comedy makes it not never. Right. Is that weird?
0: No. I don't think that's weird. I've heard people express similar sentiments. I, I think to an extent it's true of me as well. I, I, it's difficult for me to watch an extended comedic thing. So like a full hour of stand-up, I would enjoy it if I started it, but it would be hard for me to start it. I'm much more likely to watch like the latest monologue from Jimmy Kimmel, mm. you know, which is five or ten minutes. Or to watch a clip from What I Lied to You. I guess I like it in these little digestible chunks. So a comedy show, a sustained comedy experience is something I enjoy, but don't really seek out on a regular basis. Whereas a little comedic clip... I mean, one of the reasons that Mitchell and Webb was such a good YouTube binge for me is a lot of those sketches are two minutes. They're short. Even for sketches, they're short. right? I mean, SNL sketches famously will drag on
1: they'll have a four-minute premise that drags on in nine minutes because well, they're still building the set for the next one exactly so. they're
0: like come on can you can you, can you can you just do george bush more <laughs> um but the the one of the strengths of the michelin web show and i think this in many ways is in the spirit of british television is when they're done with the joke they're done they just go to something else mm. and monty python used to do that too their sketches weren't usually that short but when they felt like they had exhausted a given
1: comedic premise, they would just cut away. Yeah. If they were dragging it on, it was intentional. Exactly. Like to, to the, do, to play on the run on joke, not because they were just dragging it out. Correct. Yeah. Um, and then they would drag out the episode. Like the Spanish Inquisition joke is is a great example of that. The uh, joke that just kept coming back till the credits are rolling Oh, over. It was so beautiful. <laughs> oh, it's life-changing, really. I think Monty Python really was...
0: I really think it is, yeah. Yeah, I feel like it, it reached a point in this country where it got too popular, and now people kind of roll their eyes. Oh, really? Some people. I'm so out of touch. Will... <laughs> it's not so much that people roll their eyes at Monty Python. People will roll their eyes at Monty Python fans. Ah. Uh, the kind of people who would say, quote, a
1: sketch, perhaps at great length, perhaps doing their bad impression. Actually... Yeah, this is this is this is amazing because this uh, leads me into something that I was that I nobody also...
0: expects the <laughs> Spanish Inquisition. Um,
1: so I just started reading uh, Ready Player One mm-hmm. just last night. Actually, I had I had Lovecraft Country and Ready Player One open at the same time. What the hell is wrong with you? <laughs> I had to. I stopped because I realized that I really wanted to read the first chapter of Lovecraft County Country. God. (laughs) Take 21, love. Uh, um, But so I just started reading Ready Player One, um, and in the story, he... uh, So the premise is, uh, you know, they're living in... I'll skip over the premise. But in the story, (laughs) he goes to his locker... And opens it up, and it's like it was very sparsely decorated. There's a blah blah, and a picture of Monty Python, and I rolled my eyes. Really, I did. I was like, ugh, yeah, we get it. You like Monty Python? Like, get (laughs) over yourself. Like, it's not cool, right? But it's just so funny that it's that's exactly what you were just remarking on. I think that the fact that this in this story. It was like a a cultural reference that was supposed to be quirky or impressive. And I was like, ugh. Right. Another person saying they like Monty Python. And then I was just a person. You were also a person who...
0: I mean, the thing is, you can't stop liking something just because it's become uncool or it's become a cliche. Like, those sketches were part of our childhoods. And they're part of what formed our comedic sensibilities. So we can't just jettison it because people are going to roll their eyes at. Did I tell you that I had a video chat with John Cleese?
1: What? No, I had a video chat earlier this year. This is celebrity. This should have been at the beginning of the podcast. Yeah, I know. The title of this will be Keith's (laughs) interview with John
0: Cleese. All right. Well, so tell me the story. So there's a website that sets up these video chats with celebrities. You pay money. Uh, and you can have a chat, <laughs> really? Yeah, seriously. Uh, it was uh, it was not cheap. It was about two hundred dollars, and you get for how much time? Uh, they didn't guarantee an exact amount of time. I think they said one to three minutes, in case he you know so, had to poop. Right, exactly. <laughs> uh, so I so I set up a, a time to chat with John Cleese, and the first uh, the first chat we had is back in the summertime. First chat we had did not go well at all. Uh, I had, I had like the wrong question prepared that did not take the conversation in the fun direction. And then we're, I don't know, we're maybe, maybe a minute and a half or two minutes into this conversation. And then this countdown timer shows up on the screen like 15 seconds to go. And I was like, okay, I get that you're not guaranteed a huge long conversation, <laughs> But there's no way this timer is just going to cut us off, right? Because one, nobody said ahead of time that that's what would happen. And two, he doesn't seem aware of it. So I thought, okay, well, there's no way. I just assumed that the way it would work is John Cleese would decide when the conversation was over and that he would have a sense of how long he had to spend on each person. And that then he would say, great, well, so nice meeting you. And that would be the end, right? Instead, when the countdown timer reaches zero, (laughs) we're just cut off. It's just gone. He's literally in the middle of a sentence.
1: So I was really upset. I am... S- that, that story is making me so happy. Just I, it's- I was so... I spent $200 on this
0: thing. I was so angry. Uh, and it just felt really strongly like you have to tell people how it works. If you're going to do the countdown timer thing, and if it's entirely on me to be the one to end the conversation and say goodbye and inform the celebrity that there's a countdown timer that he can't see, okay, I guess that's how it works then. But you have to tell people that, that that's their responsibility. So I emailed these people. I was that nightmare customer who's not happy, who lets you know that he's not happy. I made myself a big pain in the neck. And the first person I talked to was not inclined to take me seriously. They were like, well, we didn't guarantee That it would be, you actually had longer than a lot of people had. You should feel lucky that you had so much time. And I was like, it's not the length of time. It did not work the way it was explained to me. I did not know it was ending. It was not a satisfying experience. You need to make this right. Eventually, I got passed up the chain to someone who actually could do something about it. And uh, I think to like the CEO of the company, (laughs) who was like, basically, I hate you and you're wrong. Will you shut up if I give you another chat with John (laughs) Cleese? And I said, I hate you too. I'm not wrong. Yes, I will shut up if you give me another chat <laughs> with John Cleese. So I had a second chat with John Cleese and it went great. Awesome. I had, I had funny questions. We had a funny chat. And then when the countdown timer came up, I interrupted him and I said, hey, John, it's over. I just saw a counter. Nice to meet you. I love you. I blew him a kiss. He blew me a kiss. And, uh, and I have the whole thing on video. Oh, wow. I can show it to you. That was the souvenir, was that you get a video of your chat. I actually have two. I have both chats. (laughs) I have both the video of the really bad chat that went poorly, and I have a video of a really good chat that I was Uh, having.
1: That's, I would like to, I would would love to see the end of the first one. Yeah. Just, do I see you, like your facing camera also? Yeah, you see both of us. Yeah. (laughs) I'm just imagining the look on your face when the timer pops up, like you. Uh, there must. And he's still talking, yeah. And I don't want to interrupt him. And and you must be sort of I, to see like your sort of pupils jogging down I, to. the... I don't know whether you can see the wheels turning in my brain. There, I bet I could. Yeah. Um, because I know you very well. You have known me I, a long I, time. I would really enjoy seeing. Oh, <laughs> man, that is so funny. I'd be happy to show you both uh, videos. video. They're not long. Uh, I think we should title this episode, Interview with John Cleese. (laughs) And then like the baking blogs, you'll have to get all the way to the end to maybe find the spot where
0: what you're looking for is. Right. And even that it's not an interview with John Cleese, it's just me talking about having had... It's very Lovecraftian of you. It is. To have told us about this interview. And I hope that by obscuring it behind multiple narrative layers, I've made John Cleese an even more terrifying presence <laughs> than he would be otherwise.
1: So the, the, the one other thing that I wanted to uh, mention was, which I did sort of mention, was that I started reading Ready Player One. Yep. Because I discovered that yesterday the sequel book came out. Uh, It wasn't anything that I had any interest in. I did see the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, But what struck me as interesting... So I saw the movie, and in the movie there's like this virtual world where people are logging in to go to school. So actually the locker I was talking about is in this virtual world. Mm -hmm. He doesn't go to school. He's accessing his school through this virtual game console. What a crazy science fiction concept. (laughs) There's no relation, to. <laughs> um, and uh, and so they're coming out with this. And apparently, when the book came out, they did this online event. So there's this um, online platform called Roblox. Okay. I might I might be pronouncing it wrong, but um, and I, I, I look I looked it up, and it's sort of lego-esque okay but so that it's an online community of people building worlds or building games specifically hmm. that other players can go to hmm. um but it's 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 also like a uh seems to be like a social networking thing people are like you know designing items and changing their avatars and uh um um and so in the in the in the movie presumably in the book i'm gonna read the book and find out uh There's, it's this Easter egg hunt. Right. An Easter egg being like a hidden object inside the video game. Yeah. And, um, the, if you can find all the Easter eggs, you will, the storyline is, is that you'll inherit the full inheritance of this ultra wealthy game corporation owner. Oh, nice. And so he passes away and his, he has no relatives or anything and, uh. He really, at the moment of his death, this video that he pre-recorded, his will is released and it says anyone who can find the the hidden treasure. So there's three keys. And so in this expansive, expansive sort of uh, gaming world, that also is sort of like the world people are, people are working jobs. Their actual jobs are inside this game. Um, if you can find all the Easter eggs, you'll inherit the, his fortune. And, um, And so, apparently back uh, in 2018, they did an event, um, I guess when the movie came out? Yeah, because the book was from 2011. Um, They did an event in this Roblox world where they hid Easter eggs inside games. Mm. Um, And so, and you could win. I'm not... (laughs) <laughs> uh, I think you win, like, you know, sunglasses for your avatar or something ridiculous. Well, that's close enough. <laughs> it's a, oh, and, not even real sunglasses. No, yeah. Fake they're, sunglasses. They're, they're fake. <laughs> but uh, I, I just, uh, and I'm going to look into this more, but it seems really interesting to me. Just, I, I really like that concept of that there's this story about people searching through this online platform for Easter eggs mm. and, and secrets and then... Doing a real life inve- event, uh, apparently like 13 million people participated in this. Wow. In this event, and and
0: uh, and who won the sunglasses?
1: Uh, you'll have to tune in next time. <laughs> uh, Will and Keith embrace the process, but um. So presumably, this event, which is starting now, officially starts December first. Is going to be even even larger. Oh, wow. apparently because of uh, COVID, the the Roblox world has. The user-usership. Oh, maybe that's expanding. where we should have Thanksgiving. Maybe it is. You yeah. can just do a Roblox We can, eat, we can eat the Lego-esque <laughs> turkey stand-ins.
0: To be clear, we're we're not implying in any way that Roblox has infringed upon the intellectual property of the Lego Corporation. Uh, just that it's basically Legos. That's
1: all we're saying. <laughs> it's the heads of the characters, which I mean, I think is a, a, a sort of, you know, a... Uh, 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 a Cylinder with sort of uh, Radial edges Rounded edges is the simplest way mm-hmm. Like a circle is too Like inhuman or not Right But so so but It's just The fact that Lego does that is Sure It's, it's an essentialized Why reinvent the wheel? You know? <laughs> when you can use a wheel shaped thing As a head for your avatar That is a really good point um, but I'm going to I'm going to read the first book And look into this Roblox event Maybe read the second book too Just because I find it interesting um, I did see the movie um, You had
0: mentioned you saw the trailer I saw the trailer for the movie <laughs> And you suggested it might be funny If I talked about how much I hated that trailer uh, I don't know if that will be funny or not I thought it was a really terrible trailer uh, I thought it looked like a terrible movie I'm Always astonished <laughs>
1: When someone spends $100 million
0: and can't put together two minutes of worthwhile-looking footage. Um, uh, it, it Well, it just looked like, um, you know, CGI nonsense. Um, well, but I haven't seen the movie. My brother saw the movie, and he said it was really bad. Mm. He also said that it was quite different from the novel. Mm. So you might find that as you go through the novel, you don't know this story as well as you think you do.
1: I... Was not watching the movie with all my attention. Good. As I have uh, uh, mentioned uh, tonight, I tend to multitask. Yeah. And so a lot of times when I'm watching movies, I'm doing other things. Like watching another movie or reading two books at the same time. don't (laughs) understand. Don't Um, understand. I mean, really, like, I, 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 like, I, I like a story. Yeah. And even if I just get a general gist of the premise or, like, what happens... I enjoy that much. Yeah, and I'm like, oh, that's a cool idea. Oh, and that's kind of what happens. It Great. is a cool idea. Great. I like the premise. Um, well, but next time, yeah, I am going to report back on uh, what I've, how much I've done in terms of reading. I'll probably rewatch the movie and look into this Roblox thing. And you can participate as much as you want to. Okay. At least, and maybe right before we meet back up, you could just rewatch. The trailer. Okay, bare minimum. I will rewatch. <laughs> I, would, the trailer. I would say, and then above that, uh, if you wanted to watch the movie together, that, that could be fun. That might be fun. Also. That might be nice. We could live stream it. We could live stream it. I don't know how to do that, but we we'll can. start a new Instagram account are. with no followers. Yes, and then we'll, for no reason at all, video <laughs> tape. <laughs> <laughs> Rock Uh, the Vote
0: again. We're from the nineties, you guys. We don't really know what's happening anymore. All
1: right. Well, that you, you get you get the picture.
0: I do, I do. And now I'm supposed to have something to recommend to you, but I didn't really prepare anything to recommend to you. Well, I feel like you did recommend. Would I lie to you? I recommend that you check out Would I Lie to You, and more specifically. Uh, find a clip or a series of clips I'm writing this down uh, write this down and then this listeners this is for you as well this is not just Will's homework assignment Uh, this is everybody's homework so you're going to go on uh, the YouTube my platform of choice I'm sure other platforms are available but you can go on the YouTube you're going to find clips from What I Lie to You specifically if you can with Bob Mortimer okay and or with James A. Acaster, James A C A S T E R, James Acaster. Either one of those two guys. Uh, they they add the cherry on top of the delightful Sunday that is this magical show.
1: Do you like how I write and or plus or minus?
0: I didn't even notice that till you pointed it out. But yes, no. <laughs> how is minus the
1: same as or? Well that's true so in, in 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 this writing I would be definitely looking up Bob Mortimer okay so I guess that's how I took it because you said him first right so he's definitely gonna look him up maybe maybe not James account yeah so if I just look up one it's going to be Bob Mortimer because you said his name first
0: I guess if you had to do one you would do him they're very different well You'll I will both very delightful okay. uh, so that's yeah I guess that's my recommendation it's a little less highbrow than my recommendation for this week.
1: Well, you know, we like to keep it varied.
0: We do, we do. We embrace both low and high culture. This is a variety show of medium falutin quality. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I'm actually, I'm a huge proponent of middlebrow culture. I think middlebrow culture doesn't get enough attention. Uh, most of the things that I really love are middlebrow. I think Monty Python is a pretty good example, right? Well, we should sign off. Uh, We're going to wish everybody a happy Thanksgiving. By the time you listen to this episode, it will be well past Thanksgiving. But uh, here in in our world, here in the past, it's the day before Thanksgiving. And we hope everyone had and is having and will have a lovely celebration uh, with family, but without infecting their families. Happy Cyber Monday. And happy Cyber Monday. And, And on that note, shall we sign off? Yes, this is this has been Will and Keith Embrace the Process. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time.